0: Hello and welcome to the latest British Tinnitus Association podcast episode, Tinnitus and COVID Q&A. My name is Maisie Karsgadden and I'm the events manager here at the BTA and I'll be introducing the speakers and putting the questions to the panel. This podcast is based around a recent recording of a webinar, so please excuse any references to slides. You can watch the recording of the webinar at www.tinnitus.org.uk. Today, I'll be joined by Nick Ray, the Communications Manager at the BTA, um, Professor Kevin Monroe, whose roles include Ewing Professor of Audiology, Director of the Manchester Centre of Audiology and Deafness, and Deputy Director of NIHR Manchester Biomedical Research Centre. We'll also be joined by Dr. Eldre Pukes. Um, postdoc fellow in audiology at Anglo Ruskin University, and Henry Rowe, founder of I Am Ear, based in London. So starting today's session, we will be um, hearing some brief introductions from our guest panel. Um, so I will start off by handing over to Nick.
1: Thank you very much, Maisie. As Maisie said, um, I'm Nick Ray, and I'm the communications manager for the British Tinnitus Association. Um, I've worked for the organisation for 11 years now, and I've seen a lot of changes. But this last year has certainly been the most challenging. Um, I'm part of the communication, the wider communications team. And my focus is mainly on information, um, our membership journal, quiet, um, research dissemination and press and media using the sort of traditional channels. Now the BTA has been around for over 40 years and has grown hugely in the last five or six years in response in the growth to demand for our services and as we push for more investment in research. Now um, prior to COVID we worked with the exception of myself who was doing uh, remote working before the, the rest of <laughs> most of the rest of the world caught on. Um, we worked from a a small office um, in Sheffield. Um, And from that tiny space, we try to sort of tell everybody our vision, which is a world where no one suffers from tinnitus. And our mission in support of that vision is really to drive progress towards a cure, but also to deliver excellent support to help people living with tinnitus in in the here and now. So COVID had an impact on us, as it did everybody, and also on the wider tinnitus community. Now, when lockdown was discussed towards the end of the second week in March, the senior leadership team were talking about pod working and a and a hybrid model. We didn't know what would happen, but we were preparing for that. And in fact, I was ready to pack my case to come up for the, the monthly team meeting, as was my routine. Um, And I got a text suggesting that actually, I didn't need to come up. And we completely closed our office on the Monday at at five o'clock. So like I said, at the time, I was the only person working from home full time. So it was a massive, massive change for us. And people went home with laptops or PCs. And the senior team worked really, really hard with our IT and phone provider Um, so that we could keep the basics going. So our email service and our web chat actually carried on without interruption. So we were able to support people through those channels pretty much seamlessly. And then thanks to the wonder of voice over internet protocol, um, our telephone system was able to be channeled through our computers. So within 48 hours, That meant we had a practical working helpline, although it did mean that changes to to how we worked because of of safeguarding concerns. So we were double staffing our helpline for a while. Um, And within a week, we had resources on our website, information resources. So we were giving people information about healthcare services, how people might manage social distancing, how people might manage anxiety. Um, Now that week was also the deadline for the membership magazine, For Quiet. Um, And I'd felt quite pleased because it was all planned and in place and it had to be completely reworked and we brought out a special edition only a couple of weeks past um, the normal time with all this kind of tinnitus and COVID-19 information. Then, once the dust had settled a little bit, uh, we continued to develop our information and our services. And we carry, we were actually able to carry on with our plans for growth and development. So as the year, uh, as the year months, weeks worked on, we were always updating our COVID information. So we provided information um, in response really to people's concerns. And this webinar is actually one of those, but we've produced more information. So for example, um, uh, working from home, what to expect from tinnitus services, information about the coronavirus vaccines and tinnitus. And there is now a, a corona and tinnitus uh, FAQ on our website. And we've also been able to include people's real life experiences of living with tinnitus in a pandemic. So, our services, um, some of you may be familiar with these, um, many of you may not be. Um, Our services are self-referral for people with tinnitus, and are mostly free. For some workshops there's a a nominal charge, Um, and many of the services have been able to run with no visible change for people contacting us. Um, Obviously our in-person events have had to move online um, and support groups are online. And we've arranged some of our own, but some of the independent groups have also arranged their own online sessions or they're supporting people through social media or email. We've started new online groups to people Um, who are new to support groups to help cover some of the more basic questions before they enter more established groups for more in-depth discussions, as well as um, groups for professional musicians, who are obviously very hard hit by the closure of venues and the the change to the world, and for younger people. And, you know, we've had these new sessions for people with tinnitus, for people... um, who are supporting people with tinnitus, so for tinnitus professionals. And we've got plans for more digital development and also for a chatbot, which is exciting. So a lot of the things we were able to continue as we always had done, some things were new or were taken um, sort of online, but we've still been able to support people. And in fact, in the last year, the number of people we've supported has increased quite um, considerably. And although we'd always been experiencing year-on-year growth in a lot of the areas of our services, the pandemic really seems to have increased the numbers of people we're supporting, and especially online. Um, In the year since March 2020, we've helped nearly a third more people um, overall. we really promoted Take on Tinnitus in the first months of lockdown when NHS services were really restricted. And Take on Tinnitus is our sister tinnitus e-learning program. It's a free website, um, has information and resources in bite-sized chunks. It's almost like an audiology appointment on your PC, apart from you know, you, you don't have a, a waiting room and you, you know, it's 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 virtual. Um, And you don't have a hearing test. That's about the only thing that's there. But it will give you the basics and new registrations pretty much doubled compared to the previous year with that. Now, the other figures you can see on this slide are comparisons for March 2021 compared to March 2020. And you can see there's some quite substantial rises in all that. And we manage that with our existing team although some were on furlough for personal reasons. And we didn't have our usual volunteer base actually helping us um, take calls, although they were invaluable as sort of um, web chat support. Um, So it was quite challenging to to help so many people, but also quite rewarding. Um, We'd found that people had more complex reactions to their tinnitus and call length when we were talking to people was also quite a lot longer than it had been previously. And we think, you know, this comes down to, and you know, we were recording a number of effects on um, people living with tinnitus and the effect that the pandemic had on their tinnitus. And I think it became very apparent very quickly that almost everyone we spoke to was either experiencing a spike in their tinnitus or reporting tinnitus for the first time. But a lot of that certainly initially was people talking about spikes. And for many of those, um, just, you know, explaining the link between tinnitus and stress seemed to be really helpful because I think people hadn't acknowledged how stressful the situation could be. And we worked with, with Eldra and an international team on a study looking at the impact of tinnitus on um. With the pandemic and lifestyle changes. And that research actually really backed up what we were seeing um, sort of at the the sharp end. But I'll let Eldra speak about that shortly. And and Kevin will talk about his work, which was actually with people who had the infection and were hospitalised. That was a group we weren't really talking to at first, because obviously they were ill, they weren't able to talk to us. Um, So Kevin's work was really interesting when that was published. Um, we had a very positive response to our new services and an appreciation that we were still there. A lot of people were really surprised that such a small organization could still be available in the ways that we always always had been. And I think the appreciation that we had um, was was really heartwarming you know when we when we were working to know that we were working and able to help people. and I think the figures, in the response to what people say about us, um, speak for themselves. And, you know, I'm so proud to be part of an organisation which is able to do this. One of the interesting things I think we found from the response to our services and the increase in our take-up is that we're attracting a younger age group to our services, but we're not losing older people either. I think Possibly we underestimated people's willingness to go online and um, to use video calls or to use new technology. And actually um, in events like this with the automatic subtitling and the ability to read people's lips close up, accessibility is really improved. So if people out there are thinking, well, how do I access this support? Details are on our website, but this slide will give you our, our number, and the ways to contact us. Um, we're based in the UK, so these are UK times from Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. I know we've got some international people here with us. Um, and if you are wanting to find out more about what we're doing, what new information is coming out, our social media is, is updated um, daily, more <laughs> you know more than once a day in, in many cases. And you can find us on those sort of places. So that's just a really brief introduction as to how um, the pandemic changed us as an organisation and what we noticed in some of the people contacting us. Um, I think Eldra who's um, going to tell us more about the research she did in that field and also Kevin. So I'm gonna pause now and hand you back to Maisie.
0: Thank you very much for that, Nick. It's always nice to be reminded. I think this year has gone so so quickly. There's a lot of um, things that have happened within the BTA, which is always lovely to, to go over and really know how we've uh, adapted. So I will now hand over to, to Kevin.
2: Thanks very much to the British Tennis Association for the, the invite to be part of the, the panel this evening, to be the token male on the panel this evening. So my, my name is, is Kevin. You can probably tell from my accent that I'm originally from Scotland. Uh, I've moved around the UK with careers and spent some time overseas, but uh, I'm currently employed at the, the University of Manchester and, and live in Cheshire. My proper title is I'm a consultant clinical scientist, which really means I'm the sort of person you would come to see in an NHS audiology department as an outpatient uh, for an assessment or management of hearing disorder or uh, a balance disorder. And all of my career has been working in this, this field, sometimes within the NHS and sometimes within uh, a university setting. When I was at school, which wasn't really that long ago, <laughs> teenagers didn't know very much about uh, audiology, Didn't wasn't like a career that people would think about. And I only knew about it because I have a hearing loss. I have no measurable hearing in one ear. And it might have been something I was born with or, or months when I was younger. So uh, it wasn't that I had a rather burning desire to work in audiology, but I had at least encountered it uh, throughout my life. So it has actually shaped my career. And, it, and in fact, <laughs> my wife is a clinical scientist in audiology, so it's shaped my family life as well. So you can't really escape things about ears or the auditory system when you, when you live in the, the, the uh, Munro family. My, my current job though is not in the NHS, it's employed uh, in the university, so I'm what's called a professor of audiology, and uh, there aren't very many of us around in the UK. In fact, it's just possible that I'm the only full-time professor of, currently, full-time professor of uh, audiology, Uh, in in the UK so the the sort of work I do is primarily research just now research and leadership I should say and the research is looking at uh, preventing hearing disorders uh, diagnosing hearing disorders um, treating hearing disorders and the people that I interact with on a daily basis might be people who are with a clinical background working in the NHS but maybe people who are teaching in a university setting to educate and train the next generation of clinical scientists and audiologists or or other researchers but no matter where these people are on the continuum we all have this uh, common goal of you know addressing the needs and improving the lives of people who have got um, a hearing disorder or a, a balance disorder. Um, so most of my work has been human related, I did for a period of time do veterinary work <laughs> so I used to test the hearing of, of dogs as newborns because there are some breeds of dog that are more prone to hearing problems and when I lived in the south of England uh, we had this veterinary practice where we would uh, uh, do hearing tests on on dogs, on puppies tested thousands and thousands of Dalmatian puppies and. Um, some dogs have had hearing aids and things, but uh, no time for that anymore. Now that I'm busy at the university and busy, busy with the um, the family. Before the pandemic, I have to confess I knew little to nothing about coronavirus. I can't even remember thinking back how that even came across the term coronavirus at all before. And um, you know, now my life is full of it, like everyone else's. So you know, I've got to know that there already were six coronaviruses from hundreds that can infect humans, um, that some of them are responsible for the common cold that we get over winter, probably about 20% of common colds are caused by um, uh, Corona uh, viruses. Um, But I've got to know more about it because I've had to find out more about it, both from my own personal point of view, but early on in the pandemic, uh, people were contacting me, uh, other professionals asking me, could, SARS coronavirus 2, the virus that's responsible for this disease that we called COVID-19. Could it, could it affect the hearing uh, or cause hearing disorders either temporary or, or permanent? Uh, I also have members of the public contacting me and, and the press, so lots of media interested in, in this. And actually there's very few health conditions that haven't been linked with coronavirus or COVID-19. We've been scratching our head recently trying to find some, but almost everything you can think of Somewhere along the way, someone suggested that it may have some connection to the the virus that's causing this pandemic we're living in. So, you know, as of today, there's been something like 160, 170 million people who have been diagnosed with uh, COVID 19. So, very big, very big numbers. Anyway, over the course of the year, I've had to learn about coronavirus, and we've carried out a number of studies, have a number of publications. Actually, since this is about tinnitus, it's just reminded me that the very first academic publication that I was named on was about tinnitus. It's when I was working in Scotland. And it was at a time when we were setting up what we called tinnitus clinics, where we put time aside just to deal with people whose primary uh, concern was was tinnitus. And I think once we'd tested or worked with 100 people, we, we wrote an article for us Scottish health a magazine called the Scottish Health Bulletin if I remember correctly talking about our, our experiences so interesting that's where it all started and I think over the course of this evening I might have the opportunity to tell you a little bit more about the coronavirus type work we've been doing my, my area of expertise is quite focused so when I'm responding to a question if it's something that I think is within my area of expertise i'll make it clear uh, otherwise I, i'm really just a reasonably well informed member of the public like like anyone else thanks
0: thanks very much for that kevin and uh, the, the job that you had working with puppies sounds like the best job in the world <laughs> um <laughs> so thank you very much for that um moving on to lj great
3: thank you very much for the invitation and for having me and um i was actually one of stu- uh, Kevin's students at a stage, and I specifically chose to go to Manchester just to be with Kevin, so he's really um, one of the audiology heroes out there.
2: I think it's quite yeah. edgy to say that, Eldry. I didn't know that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I think I've got quite divided jobs. I don't, I, I juggle between them, probably not very well. And um, at the moment, a lot of my role is doing research and um, but I also work clinically as an audiologist and also lecture some students and um, so really juggle between those and how it really started is I I just started uh, working as an audiologist and it's it's quite a complicated field in that you can't the they're all all kinds of different problems you don't always deal with the set with all the problems and you have to build up your expertise in different areas. Um, and one of the sort of more specialized areas is tinnitus work. Um, and it took me quite a few years of experience before I was almost allowed to work with people with tinnitus properly. Um, and and I started working on these more specialist clinics. And, and I think during that time, just realized that we need a lot more, we could do a lot more with with people with tinnitus Um, and that got me thinking a lot about how we can improve our service provision and I um, then attended a talk on internet interventions in 2014 and that Gerald Anderson from Sweden gave and that really struck me as something that we could use that, that could really improve our tinnitus services. Um, And that led to doing a PhD um, with the aim of of improving access to evidence-based tinnitus care and making this care accessible. And so I think that's been a, a main aim of my work. And back then it you know, everything's on the internet now and everything's re- remote. But then at that stage, it really wasn't. Most, especially in the UK, most care was seeing someone face-to-face and that's the model we were using. So I was met with quite a lot of um, barriers because it wasn't something that that was happening at that stage. And, and I think my current focus is still on trying to improve outcomes for patients and improving service provision. So, you know, in different ways, both in equipping audiologists and, and looking at patient outcomes. So why I was interested in the COVID research was, to me personally, in I think I... I I think life is so busy. I'm not somebody who knows anything about the media. I'm always the last person to hear any gossip or, you know, know what's on the media. It's always old news by the time it comes to me. So I was probably behind on the news with all the sort of COVID related stuff. So it came to to me as quite a shock when everything suddenly closed down because I had this full diary and I was just planning everything I had to do. And suddenly this diary was just, you know, open. I wasn't I just looked at all these things that were going to happen that week, and they were all just suddenly cancelled. And um, and I realised that, you know, working with so many people with tinnitus, that it can really be exacerbated in stressful periods. And and I was concerned about people with tinnitus, and I also saw an influx of of tinnitus referrals, and um, despite healthcare basically being closed, and. Um, so, so I was worried about the tinnitus population and I remember discussing it with sort of a few of my colleagues and and I think a lot of people came back with mixed reactions and it was quite a, a difficult point of time to do research as well. But eventually, you know, we, we got a, a team together that, that said, okay, let's do it. And everyone's hypothesis about what we would find was quite different, which was interesting. But I think that that's the nature of tinnitus. For some people, you know, we, we did think the world is different. Some people are at home, it's maybe quieter, maybe that's better for them. But for other people being at home where it's quieter, maybe worse because they're more focused on their tinnitus. So you do have you know, exactly the same situation, could be a positive for one person and a negative for other persons. So we really didn't know what the research was going to show. And um, And we can talk more about of the research done. Um, but with when I was trying to plan the research, I came up with 10 questions and um, and it was trying to look at the impact, firstly, of COVID on tinnitus, and then but also the impact, quite importantly, of the pandemic on tinnitus, because I realized more people are basically exposed to the pandemic than would be exposed to COVID. And then also what we could learn about coping with tinnitus during the pandemic. So although it's a a terrible occurrence, the whole COVID pandemic, we need to, as researchers, always be thinking, what can we learn out of this situation? So um, a big focus, my research has been on that aspect. And then also how we can improve services. So I think that's also a big focus of mine is taking the situation and looking what can we what can we can learn from it, what do people, how can we better support those with tinnitus? And, you know, the BTA are a shining example of how they've adapted to be able to, to meet the needs almost, you know, more widely in, in different ways. And so that's, that's what my research focus has been around during the pandemic and we can discuss more about that later. So I'll just stop there.
0: Thank you very much for that, LJ. Um, and then moving on, on to Henry. So thank you very much, Jenny, for British Association for
4: having me speak on this important topic. Um, my name is Henry, or Henry Attero, um, and I'm the founder of I Am Ear, which is a private audiology and hearing therapy practice in London. Um, I um, have been in the audiology for the last f- for 15 years uh, in the private sector, as well as the NHS. And I specialize in hearing therapy and hearing amplification. So I specialize in tinnitus, misophonia, and all the associated hearing difficulties and giving uh, the best tailored hearing solution for each individual. And I also run two monthly online support groups for the British Tennis Association. And Emily has asked if I want to do a third one. So (laughs) let's see what happens there. I just wanted to say I have a slightly different because I actually had a sort of COVID during um, lockdown. So I have tinnitus. I've been a tinnitus traveller all my life and I had COVID just before the first lockdown started and I actually came out of quarantine the day of UK lockdown. Um, I had moderate COVID symptoms and it took about two months to get over it and I was on to furlough straight straight out of quarantine I went straight into furlough and I was unable to contact any of my patients to offer them support until sort of like five months later so during that time um, I noticed my tinnitus was increasing to the point where I actually had to do tinnitus management for myself and I came to the conclusion if I'm struggling and I'm a hearing therapist and I've had tinnitus all my life what about those people out there? And so I contacted the, B, the BTA and I was like, can I help people? And so I started my kind of journey with the BTA. so I'm slightly different to the others because I, working in the private sector, I um, was able to see patients. so I wasn't able to see my um, pr- private patients, but I was able to see urgent ENT um, with the private sector. Um, patients during uh, COVID, um, and we, when I came back to work, we had more referrals, both from ENT and from self referring patients, because I couldn't find help by the NHS at some points. And it was very tough. People came in for um, appointments to have hearing tests, or for us just to check their ears, because I couldn't get uh, GP appointments. Um, and then we tried to do um, remote sessions with them as well. And we also noticed that um, some of the uh, ENT support for the NHS wasn't out, wasn't there. So um, pre 2020 in London, we could, a GP could refer people to an urgent ENT referral. So if you had distressing tinnitus, your GP could refer you to somebody. And then during lockdown, most of these clinics stopped. And we noticed that with patients. And lastly with me is, there was an added stress of insurance companies not paying for tinnitus, not covering tinnitus or uh, hearing therapy. So patients uh, had an increase of uh, anxiety about having to pay for treatment. Um, So in regards to increased tinnitus, not only was there increase in tinnitus patients, but we saw more people with anxiety, more depression, more stress, And there was also a a report of impact of isolation. Um, And there was an increase in uh, scoring on the hospital hospital and anxiety depression scale. And we were referring people to other um, professions for underlying conditions like depression from uh, bereavement. So there was lots of other things that people were dealing with. In regards to pastoral approach, um, how we were managing our patients changed as well. So not only were we doing the traditional hearing therapy approaches of CBT and mindfulness, but we had to bring in the effect of lockdown. So working from home was a big thing. Uh, giving, getting them to have screen time versus break away from screen time because people were spending seven hours just facing the screen and wondering why they were so tired. We had um, finding new habits for people to do at home so because all their habits had gone from uh, going out hanging out with their friends to going to cinema, so we had to kind of find ideas of making them distract themselves. And we also had to increase the um, noise in their life because people had gone from a noisy, busy life to silence of their home, which increased their tinnitus. So we were trying to kind of work on different things to help them. And I also, we've got an increase of people reaching out for information about how to access um, tinnitus information. And I had more emails from people from abroad and from around the country uh, looking for solutions. So my emails um, went from come in and see hearing, uh, come in and see me to hear all the free things that are out there that can help you during this time. And it was really interesting to see that shift. The key takeaways, Uh, from this is um, online and offline in a blended approach. So some people wanted to come in, some people didn't want to come in the fear. And I'm still doing that today. I'm having people come in and not come in. Um, We need uh, more accessible treatment and information for tinnitus travelers. So a lot of people don't know about the BTA when they contact me, and I'm always sending uh, people to the BTA website and saying, here's some information. And that's most of my follow-up emails that are as well. The BT has all this information. Go, uh, they're amazing. Go see them. And the other thing is that I've noticed it's going to take a while for the NHS and private practice to reduce their waiting lists. So even now, with the NHS opening up, still people's waiting lists to see their GP or their e- ENT about their ears is still quite long. So, and then we all about tennis management. So the importance of mental health over the last 14 months has been really apparent. Um, we have to the stress, the anxiety, uh, dealing with COVID and, um, and everything is, is, has a massive impact. And also, I always put it the best story or approach to managing tinnitus. So we have, if people's interaction with their lives has changed during because of COVID and lockdown and the future, then we have to change how they interact with their tinnitus as well and give them strategies to, new strategies to cope. Um, And the others will talk about it, but the indicators for long COVID and tinnitus are there. And tinnitus, unfortunately, in general, is set to rise. So that's not a great thing as well. Um, But in a good way, the research is coming. So hopefully with research comes um, more information. And I say moving forward what we can learn. So I always say the important, importance of support sessions like this, the webinar, the support groups that we t- um, Nick talked about. The, um, so getting information out to patients. And the importance of catching the whole person, not just tinnitus. As LJ was saying, there's lots of things going on with a person. and If we just focus on that ears, we're not going get, to get, get them the complete treatment they need. We need to have an online, offline approach and treatment. So we can, we can when we, England starts opening up and people want to come back in, they can, but also have the ability not to come in if they don't want to. There's also an emergent impact of long COVID and tinnitus. And I know um, that the BTO are now creating a database of urgent ENT referral procedures in the NHS. So hopefully then if, you, if you're in, I don't know, Cornwall, and you suddenly get distressed and tinnitus, the BTA can go, ah, oh, this is what your GP can do to get you to see an ENT person quicker than normal. So, yeah. And that's me very, very quickly. Um, so I apologise if I rushed through it and I sped up. Um, but thank you very much.
0: So Thank you so much for that, Henry. <laughs> uh, that was really, really useful, actually. And yeah, there are a couple of points on there that we, we definitely touch on um, during the Q&A. Um, So, we will move on to the questions. So thank you to everyone for submitting um, a question during registration. As you can imagine, a lot of these questions are around the same topic. So we've just kind of collated these together and we'll, we'll put them to the panel So starting with probably the most popular one, and I probably know the answer to this one um, because I believe there is a lack of research at the moment due to the speed of the vaccine being um, drawn out. So the first one, will the vaccines available affect tinnitus, tinnitus? If so,
1: how? We looked and we followed this very closely, as you can imagine, Um, And the initial results that came out of the studies that were undertaken with with all the vaccines were showing that there wasn't an impact with tinnitus and with hearing. And in fact, the initial research paper for the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, I think the only impact that anything around anything ear related was out of 40,000 people, it made three people's ears turn red so initially we weren't you know initially we weren't concerned but we've obviously followed the impact um through the um medical health regulation authority website and the information that they put out which is freely available for everybody you can go and have a look um yourself and looking at the figures um it's there's potentially you know people can report anything that they feel may have been triggered by their by their vaccine, but looking at the numbers, um, people who are affected with any kind of uh, hearing-related change after the vaccine, the numbers are very small compared to the numbers of people who have been vaccinated. But these are reports from people, um, you know, they've not been double-checked by medical professionals, they've not been confirmed, they've not been followed up so that if somebody reports a change and then that change resolves. That's not recorded in these records. There's, um, you know, there's no um, differential between people's having onset of tinnitus and tinnitus increasing, they're not differentiated. So the real answer, and I I think Kevin's about to probably would be saying the same, is that we don't actually know for definite.
2: Thank you, well, you know, although the pandemic's been on the go for a year, it, we can't. it kind of feels like we're on a journey and we're still at the start of this journey. So, you know, we have to be completely honest and say there are some great questions. This is a very important question, uh, but we really don't have, have the answers yet. I mean, I, people have contacted me who uh, say after they got the vaccine, they have tinnitus. And in the majority of the cases, the people have contacted me, it was transient. But there are also people who have told me that after they got the vaccine, they were less troubled with tinnitus. Uh, and in discussion, we've assumed that, you know, people have been a bit anxious during this pandemic and it's a bit of a relief when you get the vaccine. And that might explain why the tinnitus might still be there, but it's less bothersome and, and troubling for individuals. I mean, it's absolutely no secret that vaccines are one of the few... Things in medicine or healthcare that has really revolutionised the world, right? There's lots of things that happen in hospitals, and you think, well, the evidence is not strong. It absolutely is categorical for for vaccines that without vaccines, you know, we still have things like smallpox. We still have big numbers of children dying. We still have people with living with lifelong disabilities. So vaccines in general are a good thing, and and rarely have long-term, the evidence so far, rarely have long-term adverse events. The situation is slightly tricky because two things, a number of years ago, a doctor called Andrew Wakefield made the misleading claim that the MMR vaccine that children, used to, that children do get might cause autism and that caused immunisation programmes to, to fall and, and this sort of anti-vax movement began and he's been completely discredited but the seed has been sown and I can also completely understand there are times right now when people say how can it have been rushed through so quickly we must have cut some corners and that there must be a risk my I, I'm not an expert in this area but my understanding is uh, adverse events tend to show up relatively quickly so the chances that there could be something coming along later on we clearly can't rule it out But the odds would be against it, to be honest. Uh, I've had the vaccine and and the booster. AstraZeneca in my case, my wife has had it. Pfizer in in her case. When family and friends have asked me, I've said, absolutely, without a doubt, you must get the vaccine. You weigh up the risks and the odds. uh, There's a a clear winner to my mind and you should get the vaccine. just finishing with this point, the one thing that makes it particularly difficult right now at knowing has the incidence of tinnitus increases because the number of new cases of tinnitus is always very high. (laughs) And our best estimate is something like 1%, one in a hundred adults every year will newly report tinnitus. Well, if you take the UK population, that would work out to be about half a million adults a month. Now, when you weigh up half a million people a month, on average are going to report new tinnitus and then say, is it any higher because of COVID, because of the vaccine? You can immediately see the problem that we have, that we've got this big number to start with. So clearly a lot more work has to be done. I don't think we're going to get an answer in the short term. It's going to take a longer uh, 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 period of time. Uh, but my view is that, you know, when, when you weigh up the potential benefits of having the vaccine, uh, I've had it, I've told all my family and friends, definitely go for uh, the vaccine.
0: Thanks so much for that, Kevin. Yeah, and it's so important. I think it's also important too, and this is obviously just from from personal experience and this might not be the case for everyone, but there are symptoms. um, So there are symptoms of having the vaccine, flu-like symptoms, and we do know that tinnitus is linked um, to, to feeling unwell. So it may just be, there's just another number of reasons there um, and anxiety around it as well as you say it was it happened very quickly and I appreciate I know Nick um, knows more about this but there's been media um, around the vaccine and yeah I don't think that's necessarily helped um, when it comes to, to factual information so yeah I think It's a very, very good point. The next question talks about more um, of the stats of each vaccine and is there one better for those with tinnitus? So maybe those that haven't been vaccinated yet, is there, with the evidence that we currently have, is there um, a a better vaccine to to have for those with
1: tinnitus? I, having having compiled the stats for the BTA website, because the stats, if you look at MHRA information, they are broken down by, by vaccine. I think that was a question that somebody's raised in the QA. and um, And they are very much of a muchness. And sometimes this does also seem to depend on the country because looking at the stats in this country for Pfizer and Moderna, the, the numbers are slightly different in the US for Pfizer and Moderna. They don't have AstraZeneca. Um, so it's really difficult to say. I think I'm afraid again it's another we we don't know. Um, MHRA are very clear that the numbers aren't to be used for incidence calculations. I think when this is probably all over and the official um, you know approvals of these vaccines are are done and the numbers have all been crunched, we may know, but equally we may not because they may decide to, to focus on, you know, the the serious, the really serious and sometimes fatal side effects from from vaccines that have been alleged. So we don't know. Thanks for that, Nick. Um, Just to follow
0: on from that, you you mentioned the the websites there to to get relevant information. Um, And I've just noticed a question in the Q&A box asking if, any of our panel um, could put pressure on the NHS Yellow Card scheme to include a question about existing tinnitus being worse rather than new tinnitus post-vaccine. So um, it's just one, it's one of those. I, I can't imagine anyone has can put pressure on anyone um, in regards to the Yellow Card scheme. But if, does anyone know any um, maybe the direction to go? and um, to maybe recommend a, an amend to
2: this? Well, I have a comment to make and it's not specific to the yellow card scheme, but but the point is quite important. Is it, if you're measuring these things, can you be sure, has something changed? Is it new tinnitus or has existing tinnitus deteriorated? And one of the issues, when you look through the literature, and this is really looking at, at evidence that the, there might be an association between COVID-19 and tinnitus or or hearing problems. So not specific to the vaccine. Sometimes it's very hard to uh, understand, have the researchers carefully tease these things apart. Because if if you don't answer it carefully, there are going to be high numbers of people that will say, yes, I have hearing problems and yes, I have tinnitus. So you have to be very careful how you answer the question. That's just a general point I'm making. I I don't know very much about the yellow card scheme. I know that there's something very similar in the, the USA. It isn't really set up for uh, uh, doing this sort of thing. So you, you don't get the information about, is it a male, is it a female? Was it a transient symptom? that people have several symptoms? Was it when you were feeling grotty, uh, you know, 24 or 48 hours after having the vaccine? Uh, unfortunately, it, it just isn't set up for doing that sort of thing, which means any data you get from the yellow card screen is very crude and there's no controls. You know, we could equally say, let's just ask people over the last week if, if they've had tinnitus. Who didn't get the vaccine, we might well see some changes there. And it's looking for that excess numbers that we're really interested in, and you just can't get that from the yellow card scheme. So I know people have looked at this before to think, can we do some research with the numbers from the yellow card scheme? And to be honest, it seems so crude that actually people are put off from, from do, doing any research. So it can be helpful to see trends in much the same way as looking at social media, people start talking about these symptoms. It can be helpful just to start to see trends that can guide us when we want to do uh, our research. But I, I think the general point is anytime we're asking these questions, whether it's to do with the virus or the vaccine, we have to be very clear how we work the question. So is it a change or something that's already existed? Yeah, no, that's
0: a, a very good point. Sorry, Nick.
1: Yeah, because I was going to say, I don't think the form actually asks questions in that way it is self-report and what is quite interesting, I, I guess if you're you're into the numbers is that most of the cards are reporting more than one adverse reaction. So for example you may be reporting tinnitus but you may also be reporting nausea or diarrhea or aching joints or swollen glands uh, because most people are reporting more than one symptom if they're reporting a, an adverse reaction. So it's not something that's necessarily being recorded in isolation. Great, thank you. Would you still,
0: um, just following on from that comment, would you still advise people to obviously complete the, the yellow card scheme if they are experiencing symptoms? Just because I appreciate obviously, like you say, that the, the data is not maybe accurate enough to, to carry out research from. Um, however, it is still important to obviously note those, those symptoms that you're experiencing.
2: I encourage people to do it because um, I think it's very important to keep hearing disorders and tinnitus on the radar. If you look at the money that's, well, um, if you ask people their perceptions of uh, how common do they think particular illnesses are, they, they will say things like, uh, cancer is very common, cardiovascular disease is next on the list, and then hearing problems. Actually. That's completely the wrong way around. You're much more likely to have a a hearing disorder and and you're much more likely to have a cardiovascular problem than than have cancer. And this misperception about the prevalence and the risk quite possibly influences government policy. So I think tinnitus and hearing loss always seems to be well down the agenda, right? Because usually it doesn't kill you. But... You know, there's got to be more to life than avoiding death, right? It'd be a rather miserable existence if that's all we're trying to do. So the quality of our life is is very important. Less than 1% of the UK healthcare budget is spent on hearing services. And less than 1% of UK health research is spent on hearing problems. So I think it's very important, especially with a a growing and an ageing population, the the, the term sounds a bit uh, uh, unpleasant, but the burden that's associated with having uh, ear problems is getting higher all the time. So I absolutely would say that everyone, every opportunity should be mentioning these things to keep it on the radar so we can get more funding for for doing research into things like uh, uh, the impact of COVID and the vaccine on hearing and hearing disorders.
0: Great thank you and just on that topic do you think with obviously the the talk there's been a lot more talk about tinnitus in in the news and um newspapers and things and would you do you think there is room there for for more funding and we it's been put on the map now I definitely have seen a lot more news articles whether they're accurate or not, but they're, they're mentioning tinnitus. And I think, yes, some of these do have negative impact on people with tinnitus and cause anxiety. Um, however, I think it is still very important that it's been talked about because I, I, I've seen it a lot more in the past year than I have maybe in the last five years. So yeah, I just wanted to get people's thoughts on that.
2: Uh, so I, I, a concern I did have as head of a research group was that because of the pandemic, the funding that might be available for the things that interest us might dry up that all the money would go in a different direction and many charities have you know suffered terribly during the lockdown and and the charity shops have been closed and things so even some of the largest charities in the country have had to reduce how, how much money they can invest into research there are research studies that are completely relevant and Eldrie has done some, and hopefully we're going to be collaborating and, and doing some more. So I think we, we are going forward. There is some funding. I think there is an appetite in the UK to fund more hearing research. The, the government recognise that actually there's this huge burden, the number of people who are living with hearing disorders. And we had a government round table, so a discussion meeting, that uh, all got delayed because of the pandemic, but it actually ran in December using uh, Zoom, where we had some very influential people from the government present and charities, and David Stockdale from British Tinnitus Association was present, and uh, uh, there, I think there's, there is a, an appetite for more money to get directed to our area, but. That's very easy to say and it could easily get absorbed and lost along the way. So everyone has to keep pushing and, and prodding. But I am feeling more optimistic now than probably any time in my career that our area is being recognised and funding is starting to come along.
4: I was going to say something as well, because um, I deal with hearing aids and um, obviously fitting hearing aids with tinnitus. I'm seeing a lot more research hearing aid companies are doing in regards to getting better hearing aids and hearing aids for tinnitus. So that's coming as well. So it may not be us doing it, but they're also researching the tinnitus and hearing aids, which is quite interesting. And they're having apps on their phone for tinnitus and they're getting, um, and yeah, so it's, it's it's a really interesting thing for me because seven years ago when I joined the private practice, there may be one hearing aid that you could fit nicely to a tinnitus uh, person with hearing loss.
0: Now all of them are doing it. It's really interesting Um, especially I think I've seen a lot more kind of apps on a certain Amazon product I don't want to say their name in case I I set anyone's off at home Um, but the apps available on there they're becoming a lot more accessible and obviously um, a lot around mindfulness and relaxation which is probably again it related to COVID and people being told they need to look after their mental health um, which there, again, is a link there, um, which in turn could potentially impact the, the tinnitus in a good positive way. Uh, just obviously the vaccine was a very, very popular subject in the questions being asked. And I appreciate that there is very little or no research yet carried out on around the vaccines um, because it has been a very quick process. It's a lot quicker than I certainly thought that it would be rolled out. Um, so I just wanted to ask the panel if they're aware of any research into the, the link between the vaccine and tinnitus. Um, if they know of any research coming up in the future um, or they've heard about. So I think I also started getting more
3: and more emails from people saying I've had the vaccine and I got a spike in my tinnitus or it initiated my tinnitus. and. And people sending these Facebook groups where they're saying people, it's, it's happened to other people, and people asking that, that same question. I've had one, what do I do now? Do I have the second one? Or people that haven't had theirs yet, and do they go for it? And I um, then contacted Kevin as well and said, we really do need to try to look into this. It's, a, it's, it's very difficult to, to capture and I think with research, Kevin always really emphasises that you, you need to have a group where um, where there's a control group and that's getting more and more difficult because there's so many people that have had the vaccination. And I think when we started hearing these reports, we were almost too late um, jumping on and then it's trying to get funding and ethics. So it's it's really hard to capture these things at the right time. But it is something we we are hoping to look into a bit more because we really do want to try to get some answers to these questions and to do it in a way that hopefully the research is slightly more robust that we do have control groups as well so we are trying to look into into doing some of that research but it hasn't quite started and we don't know of any existing research except maybe some surveys that are going out just asking the general tinnitus population if they've had the vaccination and and what effect it's it's given.
0: Thank you very much for that, LJ. Um yeah, I think it, it's just one of those, isn't it? At the moment, there's so it's just so new and new symptoms are being reported as well. And um, yeah, know, it'd be interesting to see um, if and when the, the research uh, will be carried out in in that. And I suppose it would rely on. Um, accurate information, like you mentioned, Kevin, the yellow card scheme may not be um, the best to use in that research. Just touching on um, something, Henry, I know you mentioned around the ENT waiting lists. And obviously, if someone is new to tinnitus or their tinnitus has spiked over the past year, um, and they've contacted their, their GP and asked for a referral, I think it's very daunting hearing that there's three, four, five month waiting list. Um what can people do in the meantime whilst they're waiting for the ENT? Because it's for someone new, maybe um someone younger who who thinks Tinnitus, that's it, that's their hearing gone, it that's not necessarily the case, is it?
4: No. Um, I think uh information is the key aspect. And that's when I would say send to um, the BTA website, as as Nick mentioned, the take on tinnitus is a really good kind of source of information just to get you to understand what's going on with your ear. Um, There are, also we do the BT online support groups and a lot of people are finding them really um, helpful because they're not alone. Because tinnitus, you feel like you're alone when you've got it and it's this noise that you're never going to escape. So if you find people who are also going through that, then you, you don't feel like it's as scary as it is. Um, there are there's also a something called Sleep Station, which is um, if you write Sleep Station NHS, it's a free online service that um, that you can get to help you with your sleep. So there are things out there that you can get support with while you're waiting to get to the ENT appointment or your GP appointment. I would say. I still go and see them, especially if you've got one sided tinnitus or one sided hearing loss. Then you should uh, try and go and see somebody and get some hearing tests. I do know there's the private sector and we can always do hearing tests for you. I'm always very reluctant to say that because I know that there are some people who then end up selling loads of stuff for people and it ends up being more about what they can purchase than what the information. So I even had someone today that came in and they were like, in the first five minutes of seeing you, you've told us more about my ears than I have in the six months I've been with somebody else. So it's the information. Um, and yeah, just and I would say the only reason why you would go to see an ENT consultant is to check your hearing tests, check to make sure there's no wax in your ear and make sure your hearing is okay. Um, But yeah, there are loads of online free support out there for you to get you through until you get to see your ENT consultant. So you're not alone.
0: Thank you very much, Pat Henry. And it is worth mentioning, if if you do feel like you want to attend a support group, um, but don't necessarily want to be involved in the first instance and just want to observe, do let us know because you can um, join and just see what they're about before um, getting involved. Um, I think it's also so important to know that I think the one of the biggest issues is someone goes to their GP, talks to, about their tinnitus, and they don't have enough knowledge to advise. So the, the common line that's used is there's nothing you can do about it, it'll be there for the rest of your life, which someone first experiencing that is scary, very scary. But they can ask to see for a second opinion, can't they? Um, And we do have a um, webinar on our website actually, which you can watch if you're interested in that. Um, And it just gives you a few tips of what support should be offered to you um, at your GP appointment, um, which is really useful. So just moving on um, to some more questions. Let me, I appreciate a lot of the questions are around the vaccine, which we don't have enough evidence to advise on at this stage. But if someone is has received the vaccine and they're experiencing troublesome tinnitus, so it's intrusive for them, would you advise them to, to go through the process still of, of seeing their GP?
4: Any changes to your tinnitus or any kind of new tinnitus, you should, you, the the procedure before of the uh, lockdown was to go and see your, your doctor and they would refer you to ENT to get it checked out. So I'd still do that process. And I would and but do you understand the GPs are a little bit overwhelmed? So if they don't get back to you, I would still contact them and just keep that up. Um, and I think as well, just knowing, having a list of what your symptoms are. So when you go to your GP, you can go, this is what I'm, I've got, is more useful for them because they may ask you a question and you end up going down a route and then you, you walk out going, oh, but I was talking mainly about my left ear, but I also have it in my right ear. Or I have dizzy spells, or I have problems with loud sounds. And I didn't mention that, so that's why it's always useful to kind of say, "This is my, this is what's going on with my ears." Yeah, and hopefully they can they, they can open up and check your ears and just make sure you don't have any wax, because it could just be as simple as you've got wax in your ear, um, and you're hearing your you're hearing your ears because you can't hear from
0: from the wax. That's a really good point. And um, I remember on a a webinar recently, um, a retired GP did say if you are wanting a little bit more time with the GP, appreciate appointments are very limited at the moment. Um, But if you did want more time, you can book a double appointment. Um, Obviously, that's not offered for everyone and it may not be available to you, but it's definitely worth asking if you want a little bit more time with your um, GP. Thanks for that, Henry. Uh, moving on to hearing loss and tinnitus. So is there a link between hearing loss and all tinnitus and COVID? Um, if so, what are the results of this?
2: We, we know that uh, this virus that's caused the pandemic is more than just a respiratory disease. We, we know it affects all sorts of organs and systems throughout the body. And it's well known that some viruses can damage the auditory system. So it's an obvious question to ask, is this particular virus causing any problems with our auditory system, changes in hearing or tinnitus or or vertigo. Really, uh, we were motivated because so many people were asking us that question that uh, early on in the pandemic, over a year ago now, we decided, let's just search the literature and see what has been published already. And we're looking at all the different coronaviruses that we already knew about. So things like SARS that came along in 2002 and MERS in uh, 2012, was it? we, We did a search, we found, no evidence that any of the coronaviruses that we already knew about was associated with hearing problems but we did even last April came across a small number of articles about seven that were saying there's a potential link between the virus that's causing COVID-19 and hearing loss and tinnitus there were seven articles some were case studies often just a letter in a journal, so not very much background information, but we were surprised actually that even so early in the pandemic, that there were things already being published. Now, the quality of the evidence back then was not especially high. And what I mean by that is not being critical of the individual studies, but when you want to say how confident can we be that the findings from these certain studies are enough for us to say, yes, it's definitely causing a problem with your hearing or tinnitus, or, or it's not, was relatively low. So the next thing that we did was to uh, ask people who had been hospitalized because of the severity of their, their COVID-19, if anything had had changed. So there's a hospital, just about a mile outside my window here, a big respiratory center in, in Manchester. And we followed up uh, 121 adults who had been discharged after being in hospital because their COVID-19 symptoms were so severe. Now, now when these people are discharged, they automatically get a review appointment and they're automatically followed up. Happens about eight weeks after they were discharged. So their chest physician contacted them. Uh, mostly done remotely because of the lockdown but also some of these people were still you know, fatigued and breathless and n- not overly excited at the prospect of coming back to a, a hospital. So it was done remotely, all sorts of questions about, as I say, breathlessness and fatigue. And in amongst them, we, we asked questions about if anything had changed with their, their hearing or tinnitus. So it wasn't me that asked the questions. It wasn't anyone with a hearing background who has a vested interest in uh, uh, potentially looking at getting a particular response. And the, the outcome of that, well, of the 121 adults was that just over one in 10 said either their hearing had deteriorated or they now had tinnitus or their tinnitus had deteriorated. So we kind of sat up into notice thinking one in 10, that's potentially very big numbers and that could have a big impact on society and on uh, hearing services, NHS um, uh, services. But the important point to make is we didn't have a control group. And what I mean is, we didn't ask people who had been in hospital seriously ill without COVID, had anything changed with their ears. And it's just possible, if you've been very ill and in hospital, that when you come home, you have some ongoing or, or lingering symptoms. So we didn't have a control group out uh, there. Anyway, to kind of cut to the chase, we decided to uh, repeat our review of the literature. Uh, and we did that actually on the 18th of December was the day that we, searched all these libraries to see what has now been published Um, and that article got our review got published about eight weeks ago Um, so by by the middle of December there'd been 56 articles published that was relevant and half of them were again individual case reports or small series uh, of individuals and the other ones tend to be like a cross section of the population where they were asked on a questionnaire to recall if it had tinnitus or, or uh, uh, whatever. So I can tell you from a hearing point of view, there were a number of studies. Uh, something that stood out was uh, a sudden deterioration in hearing in, in one side. And actually when that happens, that's really considered a medical emergency. People often don't treat it as such because they wake up and think I've got wax in my ear and days go by before they go to their GP and and, and whatever. Uh, But but a sudden change in hearing in one ear, uh, unexpected for no other reason, is a medical emergency. It's normally treated with something called steroids, which are uh, designed to reduce swelling and inflammation in your ear, and that has to start quickly. But even the difficulty there is, we know that about 10 people in every 100,000 get a sudden hearing loss every year. So is it just an incidental finding that when these people had COVID that they had this change in hearing or was it caused by the COVID? So I'm not at all dismissing it, but these are the sorts of challenges we're we're faced with. Anyway, we pooled the studies and our best estimate was that around about 7% of individuals uh, with COVID we're now saying their hearing had changed, they now have a hearing loss or it had deteriorated. In statistical terms, we talk about confidence intervals, saying how sure can we be about that 7%? And actually it's quite wide, it goes from about one or 2% up to 15, but that's our best estimate right now. Tinnitus was the highest, it was about 14%. Again, wide confidence intervals, and then also vertical, which can be caused uh, uh, by your ear. Now. We published that study, it's got had lots of media uh, attention, um, but we've actually followed up the authors just to be doubly sure about what they've said in their publications. And I have to say, even publications where it looks absolutely crystal clear that the researchers were asking about, has there been a change in tinnitus? Is it new or has it deteriorated? This goes back to the question that someone raised earlier and I said, you have to be absolutely clear. The response to our email inquiry makes us think, Actually, maybe they weren't as clear. So I think, if anything, the numbers are going to be revised down a bit. So our best estimate right now is there is this association that people are reporting problems. We generally don't have control groups. We don't know if we'd asked a group of people who didn't have COVID what it would look like. And and that's leading us to uh, our new research studies that were just starting and ongoing. And if there's a chance, I can say a little bit more about that uh, further on. But Eldry might want to say something on the topic.
3: I think what I've tried to look at from these studies that have been published is, is there any, is there anything that, that seems to link things together? Like um, Kevin was saying, for some people, some of these publications was just single case studies. Um, but then even in those, they sometimes had a bit more detail, say tinnitus was only in the right ear or tinnitus was only in the left ear or tinnitus was in both ears. And sometimes, so I thought if I looked at all of, those studies, is there a pattern? Can I pick up a pattern that most of the people reporting tinnitus post-COVID, that it it was only one year or both years, or was it generally associated with hearing loss and vertigo or generally not? And So that's what I try to look for. And then also if the tinnitus stays or if it seems to go away after some time. And from the publications that are out there, although like Kevin said, they're quite a few, I couldn't find a pattern at all. So where they were reporting things, if it was only one ear, some people would be right ear, some people would be left ear. Very few of them followed up. And I think it was just the stage of the publication, You know, we found somebody or we found some people, so they published that, but they didn't follow up. And I don't know if they are all following up longer term. So that's one question we really don't know is how many of these people that did report tinnitus and hearing loss, how many of these people still have it a few months later? From the publications, like Kevin said, I think hearing loss is to a lesser degree than tinnitus and vertigo still less lesser a degree. So tinnitus is definitely the one that seems to be most prevalent. But from what's out there and from what I've heard from people, it's very different for different people, which is just typical of tinnitus. There is no pattern to it, and it would be obviously so much easier if everyone had the same kind of presentation. But just this varied presentation makes it so much more complicated, and, and makes that associate makes drawing different conclusions and associations also you know m- more complicated. So while some people getting the hearing loss, but not tinnitus not vertigo and some people are getting all three. Some people are getting two of those symptoms because if you're thinking it is just inflammation in the ear, then, you know, you're thinking maybe they'd, they'd have more. So it's, it's, it's very interesting that it's, it's so variable.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting that you raised um, a point there about is it going to stay around or, or will it go away? Because that was a main, again, a, a very popular question that was submitted is those people that have experienced tinnitus after their vaccine, the, the main question on their mind is, is this just a temporary thing or is it going to be permanent? So I, I imagine from again, there's no not enough research there, but is is there any kind of evidence around that that could link to if there's been both
3: reported from what from what's published, there are publications that say Tinnitus was there and it went But different periods of time. But it, it went to some quite short. It was just there a short time. Other people saying two months later. And other people, I think, have read that it can go. And they, so, so patients, and are hopeful that it will go, but it's still there months later. So I'd say very few of the published papers have any information about how long the tinnitus has been there. So that's definitely... A gap in our knowledge and those that have published it's very variable and I think the same for our for the patients we've heard from so some of the emails and, and patient contacts for both the, the tinnitus um, post-covid and post the vaccine because so I've had people that have written said oh had the first vaccine I really don't know what to do about the second one and a few weeks later they've said oh you know my tinnitus has gone away now so I think I will have the second one on and um, you know thinking through it so just taking the not just the research but the general information I've got I think there's a big chance it can go away but that's not the case all over for everybody definitely not and it might be how tinnitus is managed which if it was in a world without COVID and without the pandemic, if you got tinnitus, two people got tinnitus, for the one person, they might just not really notice it and carry on. And for the other person, it's going to become a big problem. And that's probably part of it is is just how it was managed. And the research we did, part of what I looked at is help seeking during the pandemic for tinnitus. And that showed a a huge decrease in help seeking from the people we asked and that was globally so I think maybe the BTA got a lot of um, responses but I think not everybody especially outside the UK had that kind of support and and knew who to ask and those people possibly their tinnitus is still going to carry on post COVID or post the pandemic because they feel so hopeless and don't know where to seek help where some people that maybe have accessed some form of help, um, their tinnitus gets better. And I guess on that point, what the general progression of tinnitus overall in time is generally that it does get better. There are times it can spike, but if you look at the overall pattern in time, Things should get better and
0: improve more so if they're getting some form of help. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. Thank you for that, LJ. I know that Nick mentioned the take on tinnitus website earlier. I, I will link it in the post event email so everyone has access to that, but I would highly recommend that. And, and it's a very good, useful tool for those waiting for an ENT appointment um, as these are management tools that you can try at home as, as well. So thank you very much for that. I am conscious of the time. I know I wanted to leave some time just to discuss um, research um, with um, both Kevin and Eldre, um, because I think it's important to discuss it, make sure that people are hearing what's going on um, and they haven't been forgotten about. (laughs) Um, Because I know that can can feel that way, but I I would like to just kind of hand over to to Kevin and Eldre if if there's any updates from your end and findings.
2: Yes, I can give an example of one of the studies that we're just about to embark on. We have been able to secure funding that will allow us to do a, a comprehensive uh, sort of clinical and diagnostic assessment on, and in this study, it's people who have been hospitalised that we've chosen to, to go for, and we will compare people who are hospitalised because of the severity of COVID-19 symptoms versus people who were hospitalized for something unrelated to, to COVID-19 uh, maybe pneumonia uh, uh, for example and that means we'll be able to carefully compare the two groups and the way we're going to do this is we have in Manchester uh, a bespoke hearing research van we often refer to it as the ladies in the van because it's been two ladies that have been driving around in a, a bit like the Alan Bennett story and film and, and, and play. So we're going to drive to the homes of individuals who don't have to come to us, which makes our study very accessible to people, particularly if they still don't want to come into hospital or, or university environment. So we park outside and they'll come down their garden path and their slippers into our research van, which has proper sound treated booth in it that we use for all our research. And we'll, we'll do a comprehensive assessment and um, we'll compare the people who had COVID with the people who didn't to see, is there something specific about the people that had COVID that means the numbers are are higher? And we're we're hoping that that will uh, give us an idea of the the sort of burden or the prevalence of problems. We might be able to identify where in the ear of the audit system the the damage has been done. If we do indeed find some damage, there's different test procedures we can use that can identify different parts and sort of the pathway between Starting at the ear, going all the way uh, uh, up, up to the brain. And we will also look at biomarkers, things that indicate why someone might get the disease or, or have a tinnitus more than someone else. So the sort of biomarkers we'll be looking at will be uh, comorbidities, for example, their treatment when they're in hospital, the medications, because we know that some medications, most medications, can have some sort of side effect. Usually they're, they're rare, that's why we still use them because on balance they're, they're good. So we're going to look at these as well to try and identify what might have caused the tinnitus. And I, and I noticed in the Q and A's, I was just trying to scan them as Eldrie was talking. So someone had said, is it possible that it's our immune system that's caused the symptoms? And that's a very interesting question. If, if we can demonstrate that people do have tinnitus or hearing loss as a result of the virus or the vaccine. Let's just take the virus right now. We have to think what exactly is going on. Is it that the virus has directly damaged the hearing system itself? And that might be the case. We we hear that the way the virus gets into the cells in the body and damages them is it it gets in this kind of door into the cells that are called the ACE2 receptors. Um, And there's not a lot of evidence that we have these ACE2 receptors in our in her ear, but we don't know for sure. But it it might be that the way our body tries to fight the virus is what causes the problem, that we have an abnormally strong immune response. The thing that people refer to as a cytokine storm, where our immune response is so strong that it starts to damage your body. That indeed could be one explanation. Or or we also hear about people, because of the immune response, uh, have a problem with blood clotting and, and clots and thrombosis. That could explain it. So there's a whole number of things and we're, we're hoping to try and tease uh, some of these things apart in this study. Uh, we have the money and I think next week we're going to pilot just test everything's working. We're going to look for a willing volunteer and once that happens and we're happy, we'll be on the road in our ladies in the van collecting uh, uh, the data.
0: That, that's really interesting. Just a, a question because I, I imagine it will come up. It, can people get involved in this? That or Have the the participants already been selected?
2: No, we, we because the numbers are so high for this particular study, we don't think we'll have to drive as far around the country. We think there'll be enough people in the northwest and the Manchester area. So our intention is that the healthcare professional who's looked after these individuals will contact them to say, there's this study that might uh, interest you. Uh, but if there was someone, so for this study, it's people who have been hospitalised we're particularly interested in. If there were individuals within travelling distance with our van in the northwest, then we would be happy to hear from them. Uh, I think the easiest way would if people just probably Google my name, Kevin Monroe at Manchester. I think you'll find my contact details, and you could get back to me that way.
0: Thank you so much. Um, that, that's that's really in- interesting, I'm looking forward to hearing the results of. Of that research. I, I am conscious of the time and, and it does bring us to an end. I appreciate there were many many questions around the vaccine but I think the <laughs> the collective response here is, is there's just not enough evidence yet but hopefully um, there will be some carried out in the future especially once we've got some more accurate information but that just leaves me to say a massive thank you to our panel. I know that there's been a variety of questions and I really really appreciate your Um, input today. So thank you for everyone for joining us. That just leaves me to say thank you.